0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Speaking of Resilience podcast. I'm your host, Kate Madigan, with the Michigan Climate Action Network. Today, my guest is Charles Griffith. Charles Griffith is the director of the Climate and Energy Program at the Ecology Center. Charles has more than 20 years of experience in research and advocacy on clean energy solutions. he's one of the top experts in our region on the automotive and transportation sector and advocating for cleaner vehicles fuels and transportation choices in our interview charles and i discuss how electrifying our vehicles will help solve the climate crisis and how michigan the car capital of the world can lead this transition creating good jobs along the way here's my interview with charles griffith well thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today charles
1: My pleasure, thanks for having me.
0: So you are definitely one of the top experts on the transportation sector in Michigan and the region, and especially on cleaner vehicles and fuels. So I'm excited to talk to you today about all all things transportation and the transition um, to clean clean transportation, cleaner transportation. And um, first of all, what has driven you to work on transportation policy for all these years?
1: That's a good question, Kate. Um, you know, uh, people may not know this that actually, when I started work for at the Ecology Center many years ago, um, we won't say the exact number. Uh, I was working more on sort of the toxic pollution issues that were challenging the state and and re- still remain. But um, when doing that work, we quickly found out that a lot of that pollution was related to the automotive sector, since that's the, you know, the big industry in the state. And then even a lot of the, you know, other industries that supply automotive that are located here, everything from steel and chemicals to, you know, uh, other auto parts uh, were, were related. And so, we we decided to start focusing more specifically on that industry, created some projects focused on helping phase out some of the more toxic chemicals in that sector, um, focused on, you know, the clean practices and, you know, pollution prevention strategies that the industry could use. Um, and then we, you know, started looking, though, at that's sort of the whole life cycle perspective for the automobile. And then, you know, it wasn't a secret, but, you know, the fact that automobiles are were consuming a lot of petroleum products and emitting great uh, amount of, of emissions from the combustion of those fuels, that was still the biggest impact from cars. Um, you know, maybe they're sort of a equal weight in Michigan where we do so much of the production side of automobiles. But we decided that we wanted to really look at that bigger picture. And it turns out there, there weren't a really a lot of groups that were focused on that issue in Michigan, despite the fact that we had you know nearly 30 years of stagnant fuel economy uh, history and, and hadn't updated our federal legislation in many, many years. Um, there were groups on the coasts and, um, and other you know you know national groups that were focused on that issue, but not really uh, many from our home state. And we figured we found out that there were some pretty you know useful uh, ways that we could get involved in that struggle because when you really dug into it, um, you realized that the workers wanted, best technology in their plants, Um, that actually helped make them more secure because they um, were more likely to, to stick around and be um, the the vehicles that people were going to want. The communities where, you know, vehicles were being produced. uh, They wanted to see the, the newest and best technologies in their, in their plants as well, but they were worried. And so what we had to do is is sort of come up with approaches that helped ensure that the domestic industry, which didn't always have the most fuel-efficient products, uh, um, were going to be treated fairly and, um, you know, and yet still um, put in place some very strict standards. And so, we, we were able to do that, uh, and, um, and that led to new fuel efficiency standards for the, for the industry. Um, but, the, you know, the work still wasn't done. It's, it's still, um, there's still a lot more that needed to be done, and we, you know, thought that there's, you know, work to be done to help advance electric vehicles. And um, so I guess we're not finished yet, and that's why I'm, why I'm still engaged.
0: Okay. Well, and now the transportation sector is the largest climate polluting sector in Michigan. And, you know, it contributes about 30% of all greenhouse gas emissions annually. Is that right? And we, so we recently interviewed Justin Snowden doing mobility work in the city of Detroit, talking about the work they're doing to make it easier for people to move around without Vehicles. The other piece of rapidly decarbonizing all of our transportation is electrifying vehicles, and that's you know, and and also reducing emissions through clean car standards that you were just talking about. So, what does this look like? What is your vision for the future of transportation mobility? What are we trying to get to?
1: Well, you're right. Transportation has now surpassed the power sector in terms of uh, carbon emissions. And, you know, all the, all the big, you know, decarbonization studies that have really looked at what are the pathways to get where we need to get by 2050 is usually the target date. Um, there's, there's really no way to get there without um, transforming transportation into electricity based fuel and electricity also that is decarbonized as um, um, we're working on as well and know that you and other guests on the show are working on. So electric vehicles are already uh, less, you know, carbon intensive than gasoline vehicles, even with today's uh, electrical grid um, by, you know, up to 50% cleaner. But that could, that can and will be even cleaner as we continue to um, phase out our coal plants, add more renewables to the grid, et cetera. Um, and, you know, wh- what we view is, you know, we, we can do both of those pathways at the same time, decarbonizing the power sector, decarbonizing transportation by moving as rapidly to electrification as possible. And that's not just passenger vehicles, which most people think about um, but it's also, you know, buses and trucks and other equipment that runs on, on either gasoline or diesel today. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's also, we, we also see a lot of people today trying to pair their electric vehicle, for example, with a, with a solar system that they install on their, their house, which um, I'm fortunate to be able to do myself. And, you know, it's really a great feeling to be able to drive a car that, you know, is being powered by the sun. You know, it's just it's uh, you know that you're doing your part to reduce the carbon impact of of um, getting around. hmm.
0: Let's bust some myths here about electric vehicles. So you just went up north. Were you able to make it up north from Ann Arbor um, with an electric vehicle and find charging stations?
1: I was. um, And it was the first time uh, in this, you know, it's the first time that I would have been able to do it um, since new stations have been put in just this year, um, in part due to um, a program that, consumers energy has is running to help um, underwrite the costs of installing those charging stations um, in partnership with the state of Michigan which is using VW settlement dollars um, which interestingly came from uh, an emissions uh, you know violation from uh, in that in this case diesel-powered cars uh, so it's You know, it's a good use of those dollars to be able to help transform to cleaner transportation um, like we're doing today.
0: Yeah. And so what is needed to speed up the transition to electric vehicles? And I know this is a big question. Well, what are, you know, what are, this is the big, this is the big question. Like, how are we going to do it? We know we need to get there by 2050 that means we need to get started right away and move faster than we are now. How do we, how do we do this?
2: Well,
1: this is, like you said, it's a big question. Uh, Maybe I can start by just kind of saying there's like categories of policies that I think we need to adopt. Um, One is just focused on the vehicles themselves. How can we create more incentives for the purchase of uh, clean electric, uh, vehicles. Uh, we have federal fa- tax credits that have started to phase out for the biggest manufacturers, ironically, um, GM and Tesla. Um, mm-hmm. there's been attempts to try to re reestablish those standards in a way to extend them for those manufacturers. Um, we need to get rid of disincentives. Uh, like uh fees on electric vehicles that are that are overly burdensome i might say um there's standards like federal fuel economy standards that help to drive um, not only more fuel efficient gasoline cars but more electric vehicles as well um, as those standards continue to tighten um so there's there's those variety of policies. But then as you were just, you know, asking about a minute ago, there's the charging infrastructure that, um, without having enough available charging infrastructure. So you have convenient ways to refuel when you're away from your home. Um, because most people will have a charging station at home. Um, we need to have more ubiquitous charging opportunities, um, You know, I use some fast charger charging stations that were along the highway. Um, That's very important to build out that network, which we're starting to do in the state, thankfully. Um, But we need more public charging at workplaces. Um, A real important um, place is at you know, apartment buildings uh, where people don't have direct control over being able to add a charging station, for example, Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and there's also, you know, charging infrastructure that will be needed for, for the medium and heavy duty truck sector as well. So, you know, again, let's, let's not focus just on the passenger sector. Mm-hmm. So but there's also oh, go ahead.
0: fast charging stations. How fast can you charge your car at uh, the fast charging stations?
1: Well, Depends on how many miles of charging you're trying to add at a time, but in an hour you could charge a um, oh, hundred or more miles at a time. Okay. Or, yeah, so uh, maybe one hundred and fifty.
0: So you were saying I interrupted you. Are there other? Is are these the main the main policy?
1: Those are the main policy areas. And then I was going to say that we still do need a lot of consumer education Um, because you know, consumer studies have consistently shown um, even at, even though it may seem like there's a lot of press about electric vehicles and maybe there is uh, but that doesn't mean that people really understand what an electric vehicle is or can name a model. If you ask them to name an electric vehicle model, most people get it wrong. Um, And then, you know, if you go and get into more details about how it works or whether, you know, what charging is available and how you charge and all those questions, most people don't, don't really understand it. So you can't expect this transition to happen very quickly. If most people still don't understand, you know, how the technology works or even what vehicles are available. So mm-hmm. that's, that's still a job that, that, um, is needed and you know it's probably going to need to come from lots of different sources um, because the automakers themselves can't you know can't do enough of it Um, I think government can help I think NGO groups like ours can help Um, cities can help you know can come from a lot of places
0: yeah And how do we make sure as we're decarbonizing our energy sector, greening our energy, our transportation, sorry, our transportation sector, that we're including Mm -hmm. everyone and that we're making sure that transportation is even more affordable and accessible to everyone?
1: That's a great question too. Um, And and one thing I'll say just before answering what, what it is we can do is that That EVs are continuing to come down in price. Um, And that's in large part because batteries, the cost of producing batteries continues to decline at a pretty rapid rate. It's kind of similar to how solar energy has come down rapidly, and other renewables have come down rapidly in price over the last 10 years. So that's projected to continue. And since that's the most expensive component in an electric vehicle, that means they're going to become more and more affordable. The other thing is that as more and more electric vehicles do come onto the market, there will, that will result in having more vehicles available in the secondary market, which is where, you know, two thirds of us don't buy new vehicles at all. We buy used vehicles. And so, you know, we need more available in the used vehicle market to be uh, able to have the affordable options that many of us will will need. But beyond that, um, I think all the sort of policies that we pursue need to take equity into consideration so that, as you say, we everybody has the, um, the ability to experience the benefits of electrification. Um, on the sort of idea of incentives um, that I mentioned before, we should consider making um, you know, ha- the incentives higher for low-income um, consumers, for example, or to make sure that we have incentives on used vehicles as um, they're more likely to be bought by people with less means. Um, for the EV in- infrastructure programs that I um, referred to, again, we need to make sure that those charging stations are put into all neighborhoods, not just the ones where there might now be more EVs. Um, and, you know, for those people that don't drive, we need to make sure electrification reaches, you know, our transit bus fleets and, um, and other forms of shared transportation that people may use um, rather than driving cars. And luckily, those are some of the most affordable, um, you know, economical uh Uh, applications of transportation electrification um, because they drive a lot of miles and, um, um, and the technology um, price has started to come into parity with, with the traditional diesel buses that are out there. So we're, we're thinking that that transition could happen quite rapidly, you know, over the next 10 or 15 years, for example, for transit bus fleets across the state.
0: Okay. Great. We talked about the various policy areas. What about in Michigan? What are the the policies that lawmakers are working on? I know you work in Lansing and um, are helping move forward policies. What are you hoping to see um, move through in the next session?
1: Well, one of my personal top priorities is to reform the electric vehicle fees that uh were enacted back in 2015 on electric and plug-in electric vehicles um we we think that those you know fees are too high and that the you know legislature in seeking a solution kind of simplified some of the some of the assumptions that went into setting that fee Um, and that we you know the well it's hard to tell that if they are um currently um dissuading people from buying electric cars um we certainly don't think it's fair for for EV owners to be paying more i mean the idea was they weren't paying enough um because they don't use gasoline which you know we pay gas taxes on but then to overcompensate and make EV drivers pay more when we're actually trying to encourage this technology, Michigan wants to become a leader in electrification. But yet we're, you know, we're overtaxing those yeah. same vehicles. Um, we just want it to be a fair, uh, a fair uh, level so that everyone is contributing to the roads in a in a comparable way. Um, we have a proposal. For that we've been working on to base the, the fees on the miles per gallon equivalent which is the rating that electric cars get um, that indicates the number of miles that they would have driven on an equivalent sort of gasoline basis and we think that that um, would would result in a fair level given the fact that EV drivers already pay higher registration fees because they cost more to purchase, and registration fees in the state are based on um, the purchase price of the vehicle. So that's that's top priority. Um mm-hmm. the other thing that we'd really love to work on, and hope that the legislature next session might be interested in exploring this, is is something that um allows the state to offer purchase incentives for electric vehicles including again trucks and buses um, because we know that bringing down that price uh, difference is still um, you know probably the the biggest uh, inhibitor for people to to make a purchase um, you know it's hard these days with budget limitations to Im- to imagine you know funding too much uh, in the way of incentives, but so that's one reason that we might wanna look to um, policies that create their own revenue source by um, sort of taxing uh, more carbon intensive fuels. Um, So this is a discussion that um, we're hoping to get started um, and would be great if the legislature in this next session would take something like that up.
0: Okay. That's really interesting. Love to talk more about that. Mm -hmm. Um, We're in the car capital of the world. And so I feel like talking Mm -hmm. about transportation would be remiss if we don't touch on that. Do you think that um, because, you know, Michigan Detroit are home to the automobile industry, does that change this work? Is it different working on, you know, the transportation sector um, advocating for cleaner vehicles in Michigan than it would be in another state like Florida or somewhere else?
1: Well, I, I'd like to believe it does make a huge difference to work on it here because, you know, we have really the most to gain um, because because we are the that auto capital and we we want to stay at the forefront of this industry and get be out front and have leading companies and leading, you know, universities and 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 leading government policies that help um, ensure that Michigan stays in that leadership position. Um, it's yeah. you know, it's not good enough for me anyway to say we're gonna be the leaders in producing electric vehicles, but then we're just gonna export them all to other places that want to buy them. Um, I think that's the piece that we still need to get right here in the state, that we we need to have the, those policies that are going to help encourage adoption. And those are the, also the ones that attract, you know, sort of the newcomers in the industry to locate here as well. And I think, you know, while we are still the car capital that has been shifting in recent years and decades, and there's no assurance that, you know, we will remain in that position. It's, it's, yeah. I know it, it's, it almost seems hard to say that, but, you know, we had two of the three Michigan-based companies go through bankruptcy in the last, you know, decade. Yeah. We, there's just so many things that can happen. And I think, you know, in today's topsy-turvy uh world you know we kind of start to realize anything is possible um so there's just a lot of reasons for m- wanting to make michigan the leader and to and to ensure that we stay that way
0: yeah absolutely and the auto industry is going to change rapidly because as we transition to electric vehicles so michigan really there's so many reasons why michigan should want to lead as and should be leading, as you said. Um, And Governor Whitmer signed an executive order this year creating the Office of Future Mobility and Electrification, I think in her statements, motivated by wanting Michigan to be a leader, um, to continue to lead in automobile technology. So can you tell us about that executive order and what the office she created will do? Some of the highlights.
1: Yeah, I mean... I think the key though, when you boil it down is that it, it does make electrification a priority for the state. Um, It, you know, it basically appoints this high level office and a new director to run that office to kind of ensure that Michigan is um, at the top of its game in terms of a whole range of advanced mobility technologies, but now electrification is is you know is carved out as its own um, area that that um, deserves more attention and that was something that many of us as advocates pushed for um, when this new administration came into office so we're happy to see that um, I think the new director of the office Trevor Paul has you know, now stated um, in various forums that he wants Michigan to be seen as the national leader on electrification. So that's definitely very encouraging. And um, so, you know, we, we, we still will need to see details as, as the new office gets up and running and the administration settles on kind of its policy. But there's also this council that's going to be created um, with the same name, uh, but that, I think that's important also because it it creates a platform to sort of build broad stakeholder um, engagement on the issue. Um, that council is supposed to make recommendations back to the administration. Um, and so and the legislature, I might add. So it's I think it can be and hopefully will be an important, way to sort of build that support that will be needed to get new policies put in place um, to, again, establish that leadership position for the state.
0: Great. And, you know, as we talk about how we we need to make sure that Michigan is leading on electric electrification vehicles, kind of understood in that is that we want to hold on to these good family sustaining jobs and create so many more um, if we really, you know, Um, build up our capacity to lead in this growing field. Um, Is there anything you want to say about that and kind of where your work with labor unions and where labor is at with all of this?
1: Well, um, yeah, again, I think that when you, you know, ask uh, auto workers or the United Auto Workers Union that, represents them, you know, where they want to be on these issues. They, they're all about, uh, you know, keeping the sort of leadership position of their industry, because they, again, know that that's what's going to ensure their, their livelihoods, uh, over the long haul. But the one key for them is they want to make sure that those, vehicles and technologies, those auto parts related to the new, um, these new technologies are built here. And so um, that's always gonna be important for their bargaining strategies. I think, you know, we saw out of the the GM contract last year that was unfortunately, you know, long and drawn out. It did result in agreements about um, new electric vehicles being built in the Hamtramck plant. in Detroit. Um, It led to agreements about, you know, building new advanced batteries um, in Ohio, where they were actually shutting down um, another plant there. Uh, So, you know, those are the bread and butter issues for them. And they should be things that we support as well, because yes, we're going to be better off and we're going to have more support for these technologies if if we're indeed reaping the benefits of of uh, having produced them. So I think we have very, you know, mutual interests and we're going to, you know, we'll continue to, to work with our brothers and sisters from the labor movement to, to help ensure that that happens.
0: Yeah. Thank you.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And there's also a lot impacting transportation at the federal level. Um, as you mentioned before, the the clean car policies um, from the Obama administration and now the Trump administration is working to roll back those many those policies, along with many other climate policies. Where? What are your thoughts on that, and where do we go from here?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. The federal fuel economy standards rollback has been really disappointing. Um, especially, I think, because it was such a signature policy of the Obama administration. Um, One of the, I think the first presidential order um, of President Obama was announcing their work with the state of California to develop unified federal fuel economy and greenhouse gas standards, which would, was going to be the first time ever that they would be unified, and it's something that the industry had asked for for years. Because it doesn't really help them to have two sets of standards out there that they have to meet. You know, um, one unified standard standard works a lot better. Now, maybe they complained a little too much about where those standards ended up, which kind of led to opening this Pandora's box that you know led to the the rollback. Um, They aren't, they didn't end up quite as bad as the original proposal, which was just to freeze them at 2020 levels for another five years, which, you know, doesn't do anybody any good. And the industry didn't even support that. Um, uh, It is notable that several automakers, um, including Ford Motor Company, did, sign agreements with the state of California agreeing to um hold their companies to standards that are above the new national standards that are more in alignment with what California was was pushing for so that's promising but even more promising um quite frankly is if you know a new Biden administration is elected in November which then you know goes back to the drawing board and gets those national standards back on track, or, you know, including perhaps, you know, cr- developing an even more progressive standard that, that includes new targets for electric vehicles, which um, we don't really have at the national level.
0: Yeah, that would be great. And so leads me to my next question, you know, is the climate action, climate action network Uh, we like to think about how people who are listening who want to get more involved can engage in this work or other work Uh, what what would you say how how can folks get more involved
1: well I always have to state the obvious one which is you know lead by example Um, if you don't already have an electric car um, and you know commit to making that your next purchase um, there's you know nothing that that uh you know communicates more clearly what your priorities are than than you know sort of demonstrating it with your own personal life but beyond that um i think there's lots of ways you can get involved with your your local nonprofit groups or your local city um sustainability offices for example to work on local policies to advance Uh, electric vehicles. We've got a lot going on here in the city of Ann Arbor. I could talk about um, like uh, an EV ready ordinance that would require all new construction to include sort of pre-wired you know charging infrastructure so that you don't have to go in later when people arrive with their EV wanting to charge and then you, you have to start ripping up concrete and Putting in new electrical equipment, you know, it's just so much easier to do that right from the get-go. So yeah. that would be a really good um, uh, activity for folks in cities all across the state to be engaged in. Um, obviously, you know, we we need people to be constantly in touch with their elected officials um, because they. Um, do respond to, to their constituents. And so they need to hear from us. um, Even if, even if that's not always sort of a fun thing to do or um, Mm -hmm. takes extra time, but you know, it needs to be done. Um, And finally, you know, people can always run for office themselves. And um, yeah. And if all those, none of those work, you can always donate to groups that are engaged in this work (laughs) and help support them that way. And, and that's, you know, definitely needed as well.
0: And I'm going to add one more because this is going to run, you know, really close to an election coming up. So um, who gets elected into those positions of power are really important. So run for office and make sure to vote and get all your friends
1: to vote too. <laughs> get your absentee ballot now. Yes. Yeah.
0: Any last words or things we should talk about that we haven't covered Maybe autonomous vehicles.
1: Yeah. You know, a lot of people ask about that. Um, yeah. Are autonomous vehicles good or bad is one way you could look at it. Um, I don't know that there's an easy answer to that, but from an environmental perspective, they aren't necessarily good. If all we do is go from single passenger, you know, vehicle driving to autonomous single passenger vehicle driving, the key really is to, um, ensure we use autonomous technologies to help facilitate shared vehicles. The yeah. use of shared vehicles, um, as is a focus point of you know a very new announced initiative uh, that um, our office of mobility was engaged in, um, the Cavanue uh, Detroit to Ann Arbor autonomous corridor which is going to be trying to build out a lane of highway in each direction that would facilitate autonomy. Now this won't be, you know, what many people think about of just sort of pushing a button and say, take me to grandma's house. Uh, It's not going to be like that, but it would be if you get on the highway and you enter that lane and you have a vehicle equipped with the right sort of equipment to, to allow this you can basically go hands-free for the duration of that highway segment and i think mm-hmm. that's probably more in line with what what um we're, we're likely to see with autonomy uh technology in the near term or is kind of facilitated transportation um mm-hmm. they they do say that their priority is going to be on facilitating You know, transit vehicles and other shared vehicle, shared, um, yeah, shared vehicles um, to utilize that technology. So I think um, that's a driverless bus. Yeah, for example.
0: Yeah,
1: Um, that's at least possible. Um, I. You know, I think we do have some examples of these autonomous shuttles that are in operation, I think in Grand Rapids and in Detroit, um, where they're little shuttle vehicles that sort of take you from a parking structure to, you know, around, a, uh, you know, I think in Grand Rapids, it's around a loop in downtown. Um, in Detroit, it's, you know, to a office building um, that's relatively nearby, but, you know, not as close as people would like. So um, mm-hmm. I think these little, you know, short distance autonomous uh, vehicles are another, another good application of that yeah. technology.
0: When I hear about what a world would look like with really shared autonomous vehicles, it sounds really convenient and nice. So I look forward to that. Charles, this has been such a pleasure. It's like we were at a conference. Remember <laughs> when we used to have conferences and we, or a meeting and then we get to chat afterwards or over dinner? This has been great.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed it.
0: Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Speaking of Resilience podcast. You can find more episodes of the Speaking of Resilience podcast on our website, groundworkcenter.org slash podcast, and on all major podcast platforms. If you appreciate this content and want more of it, become a podcast supporter by donating at groundworkcenter.org slash podcast, and we'll give you a shout out in our next episode. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast wherever you listen in, and don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. This helps other listeners find the Speaking of Resilience podcast. Like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Groundwork Center and at Michigan Climate Action Network. Speaking of resilience is created by the Groundwork Center for Resilient Communities and the Michigan Climate Action Network. This episode was produced by Miriam Owsley and Jeff Smith, hosted by Kate Madigan. Thank you